Hello and welcome to another episode of Bright Future, my political and philosophical journey to refine and update my worldview. Here we discuss current events, primarily in the United States, but occasionally throughout the entire world. In addition, we also discuss how we may do better, so that there may one day be a brighter future. As always, here are the rules. First, do not insult each other, instead debate in a respectful manner. Second is Hitchens Razor, that which can be stated without evidence can also be dismissed without evidence, though there are exceptions to this like in this episode's case, basic physics. Third is the Sagan Standard, which states that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence to prove. Fourth is Hanlon's Razor, which states that we should not attribute to malice that which could be reasonably attributed to plain stupidity. Fifth is Occam's Razor, which states that simpler explanations that make the least assumptions are more likely to be correct. And lastly, sixth, keep your opinions open and flexible to reflect new information, ideas, and perspectives while keeping these or your own rules in mind. Be sure to define the line between fact and opinion. These episodes begin with a pre-written essay section that I've written which outlines the facts and some of my opinion before opening it up to the listeners to discuss. My name is Samuel Adams, I'm your host, and with no further delay, let's begin this week's episode which I have titled Fission, Fusion, Ignition, Confusion. This week, nothing in particular stood out to me on the White House briefing room, but something scientific stood out to me instead. The Department of Energy announced on December 13th that they had achieved fusion ignition at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Here's the President's science advisor, Dr. Arati Prabhakar, about this discussion. So, when I heard this news, <clears throat> for me the years fell away and all of a sudden it was 1978. <clears throat> I was a summer student in the middle of my college years, a uh, 19-year-old kid, and I got the chance to go work at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. And I showed up, and so you got to picture this, I'm wearing my bell-bottoms, I've got long black hair, and I show up, and I'm a 19-year-old kid, and they give me a laser to work on. And I said, this is cool, I like lasers, but what, what, like, what's this laser all about? And they said, we think that if you point enough lasers at a pellet of fuel, we want to see if we can get more energy released from fusion than the amount of energy that the lasers deliver into that pellet. And I said, well, that's cool. And I spent three months uh, working on this fun laser. And, you know, and after my adventure with the laser that summer in Livermore ended, I went off and did completely unrelated things. But I have always kept an eye out and watched to see what was happening at Livermore as they pursued uh, this idea of ignition, of achieving this kind of controlled fusion reaction for decades. And um, I, I went off and didn't do anything more about fusion, but the people I worked with and their successors kept going. And they went through periods of triumph and they went through tremendous struggles and setbacks. They never lost sight of this goal and last week, lo and behold, indeed, they shot a bunch of lasers at a pellet of fuel and more energy was released from that fusion ignition than, than the energy of the lasers going in. And, and I just think this is such a tremendous example of what perseverance really can achieve. And I gotta constantly like redo my volumes every time I go through one of those recordings. I'm gonna have to find a better way to do that. But for a more specific idea of exactly what they did, what the Department of Energy did, imagine held between a pair of prongs, a small cylindrical capsule called a holorom, 
And the holorom contains a hydrogen isotope as a fuel, both tritium and deuterium, more on those in a moment. An ultraviolet laser is fired at the holorom, and the holorom reacts by emitting x-rays in all directions towards the hydrogen fuel pellet inside. This causes the fuel to compress and fuse together into helium, which produces power in the process. Everything up to this step has been achieved before, but prior to December 5th, more power had been used to generate the reaction than the reaction was able to return. That's what makes the attempt on December 5th so special. Before every attempted fusion ignition ended when the star sputtered out before producing more power than the laser and the holorom pumped into it. This time, the laser imparted 2.05 megajoules of energy into the holorom, and it produced 3.15 megajoules of fusion energy in return. What does this mean? Well, we may have a new renewable energy source coming soon. The laser and reactor produces more power than it requires, so it can support its own energy requirements while moving that extra power to the power grid. The only fuel requirement is a steady supply of hydrogen, which is available from the atmosphere. You can even recover some from water through a process called electrolysis. At least that's what I thought, but it turns out it's not exactly that simple. Remember earlier I mentioned tritium and deuterium? Hydrogen, if you remember from chemistry class, is number one on the periodic table, and usually made of one proton and one electron only. For this experiment though, you can't just stick regular old hydrogen in the holorom and expect it to work. Instead, isotopes are used, where hydrogen can also have an extra neutron or two stuck onto it. Deuterium is a version of hydrogen that has one neutron, one proton, and one electron, and tritium has two neutrons, one proton, and one electron. These isotopes, though, occur pretty rarely in nature, on Earth anyway. The atmosphere only has trace amounts of tritium, and deuterium accounts for roughly 0.016% of the Earth's water, which is actually called heavy water. However, both tritium and deuterium can be artificially produced by irradiating lithium metal and is actually a byproduct of normal operations of fission nuclear reactors. Of fission nuclear reactors. While these isotopes are radioactive, they aren't particularly dangerous to be around. There was even an incident in 1990 where an upset employee at the Point Lupral nuclear generating station in Canada obtained four ounces of heavy water from their nuclear reactor and loaded it into the cafeteria drink dispenser. Eight employees drank some of that contaminated water, which was only noticed when their urine samples showed elevated tritium levels. However, even if pure heavy water had been used in the dispenser indefinitely, it is not likely that it would have actually caused any harm to those employees, as they would not be expected to drink more than a fourth of their daily water intake from it. Unless you start drinking nothing but heavy water, you'll probably be fine. And even if you do somehow manage to drink some of it on accident, it cycles out of the body with a half-life of 7 to 14 days. Nuclear fusion, as opposed to fission, is completely safe, and doesn't have any of the dangerous radiation you hear about from nuclear fission. It's important to make this distinction. Fusion and fission are different, and only one of them will kill you in a really fun way. 
Nuclear fission is different because instead of putting atoms together, two hydrogen atoms to make helium to generate energy, you instead take one atom and break them apart into two. In a fission reaction, a fuel supply of a heavy atom is used. For this example, take a fuel supply of uranium-235, which is stable on its own. To start the reaction, a single extra neutron is fired at the fuel. The neutron is absorbed by one of the uranium-235 atoms, which turns it into a uranium-236 atom, which is not stable, and almost instantly breaks apart into a little bit of energy, a krypton-92 atom, a barium-141 atom, and three spare neutrons, which fly into other uranium-235 atoms, which turn those uranium-235 atoms into 236, triggering the same result, which produces further reactions, and you get more and more energy until... Well, nuclear, reaction, nuclear reactors don't usually let the explosion get that far. Instead, a control rod, basically a stick made out of atoms that can absorb those free-flying neutrons without decaying like the uranium does, is inserted into or pulled out of the reactor to control the rate at which the reaction continues. These rods can be made out of boron, cadmium, silver, hafnium, or indium. These rods allow the atoms in the fuel to break apart and produce energy in a controlled manner, which is used to heat water, which becomes steam and rises, the rising steam turns a generator, and the generator produces power. Yes, this is really all just a really fancy and very convoluted way to turn a wheel. And when there's an accident with, fu with, when there's an accident with fission, there can be some serious problems. But if fusion can replace fission, I see no possible downsides. Fission can be used as a weapon, and there have been accidents at reactors before, including but not limited to the Kitchum disaster, the Windscale Fire, SL-1, Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, Fukushima Daiichi, and the most recently, the incident Zaposoria, which I discussed more in depth during my episode on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But what are you going to do with fusion? Make someone a balloon animal with the helium? Poison their water supply by dumping tons of deuterium into it until your opponent is drinking heavy water and nothing else for several months on end? Accident potential and the possible effects of the environment are, of course, concerns to social acceptance of fusion. However, a fusion reactor, unlike a fission reactor I mentioned earlier, are not subject to any kind of catastrophic meltdown, because in order to sustain fusion, it requires many things, including a controlled temperature, extreme pressure, and a magnetic field. Loss or damage to any of those would nearly instantly extinguish the reaction, called a quench. In addition, fusion reactors usually only operate with seconds or even just a few microseconds worth of fuel at any moment, and without constant refueling, the reaction would immediately quench. By comparison, a fission reactor is usually loaded with enough fuel to last for years, which is what offers the possibility of a meltdown. It is possible for the magnetic containment of a fusion reaction to fail, which would allow the magnet to explode, kind of. However, the severity of this event would be similar to an MRI machine quench, and you can find videos of that on YouTube pretty easily. It's not exactly violent and could be easily contained in a usual containment building similar to a fission reactor. There's no explosion or shockwave or radiation or anything. Instead, it just kind of smokes a lot, which is actually a cloud of helium escaping from the machine. 
The only immediate danger of being nearby is that when that helium is released, it has the possibility to displace the oxygen around you, and with sufficient amounts of it being released fast enough, it could, in theory, suffocate you. Unless you were just to drop down to the floor. Helium is lighter than oxygen, so if you just get lower to the floor, all that helium will go up, the oxygen will go down, and you'll avert all chance that the helium would displace your oxygen. Another concern from the public is radiation exposure to the environment surrounding a fusion power plant. Most fusion reactors use liquid hydrogen as a coolant, which also converts any stray neutrons coming off of the reaction into tritium and fed right back into the reactor as fuel. Hydrogen itself is flammable, as famously demonstrated by the Hindenburg blimp, so it is possible that storage could ignite. If this happened, the tritium portion of that hydrogen would enter the atmosphere and could pose a radiation risk, but calculations from the World Energy Council state that if one kilogram of tritium was present, it would dilute to safe levels by the time the gas reached the station's perimeter fence. But is it a green, renewable resource? Assuming current energy demands and only using fusion power, lithium reserves would last for about 3,000 years to produce tritium, and from that energy, and from that to energy, the lithium from the seawater would last another 60 million years. A more complex possibility using only deuterium would last roughly another 150 billion years, which is 30 times the remaining lifespan of our sun and 10 times longer than the estimated age of the universe. Lastly, though, there is also a worry that a fu that fusion could be used as a weapon, and this is technically true, but they've existed for over 70 years. They're called hydrogen bombs. However, these bombs still require a fission reaction to trigger the fusion part. There is also a hypothetical hydrogen bomb design that doesn't need a primary charge to ignite the fusion, called a pure fusion weapon. However, the Department of Energy spent millions of dollars between 1952 and 1992 to try to produce a pure fusion weapon, and no semblance of success was ever achieved. The power requirements to ignite a fusion reaction are only attainable with either the aid of a fission explosion or a very large laser that would simply not be feasible on a battlefield. Some have claimed that it is possible to create a crude, pure fusion weapon using only present-day unclassified technology, but according to the Science and Global Security, the proposed design would weigh about 3 tons and might have a yield of 3 tons of TNT. Such a weapon would have no advantages over a conventional explosive, though theoretically it could deliver a lethal dose of radiation to everyone within a 500 meter radius, at which point just use regular TNT or a regular fission atomic weapon. They would both be cheaper and more effective. In other words, safe, clean, renewable energy is right there! Normally on these episodes, I feel like things get pretty dark, but how there doesn't seem to be anything going the right way. But finally, it looks like something might just be going our way. At least when it comes to clean energy, there may actually be a bright future just over the next hill. So, what do you think? And you said you wanted to do, like, a disclaimer first before you started talking? Okay, I'd like to state for the record two things, actually. Most of my, First, most of my knowledge on this topic is purely hypothetical. Second, take anything I say with a grain of salt literally 20 feet long, like, holy shit. You said your, like, opinion is hypothetical. 
No, my opinion is based on effectively theoretical math, and that's it. It was theoretical two weeks ago. It's not anymore. (laughs) No, I'm talking math that was theoretical like three years ago. Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so fuel for nuclear fusion is literally not a concern. We are one step away from literally making fuel not an issue. Because let's say, for the sake of argument, we do not have a means to directly synthesize tritium, right? We do. It's You do it Uh, by irradiating Let's just say, for the sake of argument, we're fusing pure deuterium. Let's just say, for the sake of theory here. What you can do is you can take the helium-4 byproduct and feed that into another reactor and fuse that into carbon. Yeah. Or, in this case, these reactors are cooled using liquid hydrogen, right? Yeah. And spare neutrons are coming off of this reaction. So you're going to keep neutrons enter the hydrogen and tritium constantly. And that becomes deuterium. Yeah, and you can fuse pure deuterium to make tritium and uh Tritium and yeah. Yeah. So fuel's not a concern. 150 billion years worth of fuel, which is 30 times longer than the expected lifespan of our sun. So honestly, my only real major concern at this point, is generating enough fuel via the reactions after everything's said and done to uh, continue feeding their fuel. Like, if we could reach the point where the energy output by the reactor is enough to feed the entire supply chain, then we've hit the we've hit the golden limit. We don't have to worry about power anymore because we can just keep building reactors. Yeah, I mean. Just keep building... I I guess that's what that is. Just keep building reactors and we don't have to worry about power anymore. Yeah, like, this is also one of the reasons, like, back, like, five years ago, we were like, hey, we should go build moon bases. This seems like a good idea. Because well, we're doing it we now were... instead, you know, the Artemis program. Yeah, yeah because back back in the day, our main, uh, our main proponent for nuclear fusion was helium-4. Hey, guess what the moon's really, really rich in? Hold on, you said nuclear... F- yeah, nuclear fusion, because I, I keep getting yeah. them mixed up! <laughs> to be fusion fair, I feel fission. like a lot of the uh, concerns about nuclear fusion, like a reactor melting down or a reactor breach, are extremely uh, overhyped. Oh, Even yeah. if containment fails, like, the radiation would be beyond minimal. Yeah, I think I talked and, about that earlier. The um, a fusion reactor isn't capable of the same catastrophic meltdown yeah. that a fission. It's not reactor even capable is. of like doing massive amounts of damage. Like the no. extent of the damage, your worst case scenario is the fu- the reactor is fried. Yeah, well, the reactor I mean, is, is gone now. Have you seen a video anymore. of what an MRI machine quench looks like? Because that's basically the same thing, kind of. Well, they've also bypassed a lot of the uh, potential risk of collateral damage when they decided not to use raw gas as their fuel source. Yeah. Because superheated gas will just melt everything. That's kind of the idea. Yeah, I'm pretty sure... I don't remember what the temperature these things said they were. I've got to look at resources that I used to build... The main the source of collateral damage, like if there's a reactor breach, is going to be all that superheated helium-4 just that's inside the reactor core just spewing out somewhere yeah let me go to um 
So I'm on the Wikipedia page for fusion power. Accident potential, right? Mm -hmm. In magnetic containment, strong fields develop in coils that are mechanically held in place by the reactor structure. Failure of this structure could release the tension and allow the magnet to explode, in quotes, outward. The severity of this event would be similar to other industrial accidents or an MRI machine quench slash explosion and could be effectively contained within a containment building similar to those used in fission reactors. And I've seen videos of MRI machine quenches and it doesn't like explode. There's no shockwave, no nothing. It's just a lot of, it looks like steam or smoke just leaves the machine. And that's hydrogen, that's helium actually, that's leaving the yeah, machine. That's, a, that's all helium. So the only immediate danger is that if you stand in that cloud of helium, it's going to displace your oxygen and you'll suffocate. So don't stand in the cloud of helium and instead just hit the floor because helium goes up, oxygen goes down. Oxygen yeah. won't be displaced if you hit the floor. Honestly, and I'm speaking entirely theoreticals here, what I believe would be the ideal supply chain would be we pump in deuterium, deuterium fuses to helium-4. We, we push the helium-4 out into another reactor, fuse it into carbon, and then we use that car, and then we uh, push out that carbon for manufacturing. Yeah, because we can turn that shit into graphene, and graphene is very good to have in this day and age. Yeah, and we aren't physicists, so I'm using like all of the sources yeah. just straight off of Wikipedia. But yeah, one like, of the I'm other problems is like the wall. <laughs> one of the other problems is fusion power technology could be adapted to produce materials for military purposes in some scenarios. A huge amount of tritium could be produced by a fusion power station. Tritium is used to trigger of hydrogen bombs and in modern boosted fission weapons, but it can be produced in other ways. The energetic I... neutrons in a fusion reactor could be used to breed weapons-grade plutonium or uranium for an atomic bomb. Wait, I'm sorry, but... breed weapon-grade plutonium? Excuse me? Yeah, so in theory, these things could be used to make weapons-grade plutonium by fusing atoms together into weapons-grade plutonium. But here's the uh, thing. That, that wouldn't work. A study in 2011 assessed three scenarios from R.J. Goldston. A small-scale fusion station, as a result of much higher power consumption, heat dissipation, and more recognizable design, this choice would be much easier to detect and therefore implausible. Commercial facility, the production potential is significant but no fissile substances necessary for the production of weapon-grade usable materials needs to be present at a civil fusion system at all. If not shielded, detection of these materials would be done by the char characteristic gamma radiation. So even if they did, even if someone took a fission station and tried to start producing weapons-grade plutonium or uranium, we would know because there would be radiation there, and it's impossible yeah. to block that. I mean, it's possible and, to block well, I mean, it. it it's really, 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 really not feasible. Like, the, the amount of insulating material you would have to have would be a dead giveaway anyway. Quote here, in the technically more feasible case of a solid breeder blanket module, something to block that radiation, it would be necessary for incoming components to be inspected for the presence of blocking material. Otherwise, plutonium for several weapons could be produced each year. Mm -hmm. But... If you were to prioritize weapon-grade material regardless of secrecy, 
The fastest way to produce weapon usable material was seen in modifying a civil fusion power station. No weapons compatible material is required during civil use. Even without the need for covert action, such a modification would take about two months to start production and at least an additional week to generate any significant amount. This was considered to be a high enough time to detect a military use and react with diplomatic or military means. To stop the production, a military destruction of parts of the facility while leaving out the reactor would be sufficient. I feel like the problem there is this ultimately hinges on the concept that um, a government would allow a military to give enough of a shit about weapons-grade plutonium to start actually trying to mass-produce it, despite the fact that the general consensus by the community is that, yeah, we're not going to produce more nuclear weapons. That's a really fucking yeah. bad idea. Nukes are bad, okay? Yeah, <laughs> And, like, like even if they did try to, we would notice. Even if someone yeah, like, tried to, like, a hostile power or something tried to do that, it would be obvious. Yeah, like, it would be disgustingly obvious. Like, at that point, like, hear me out here, you'd be better off just trying to mass-produce uranium at that point. Like, uranium has more use than fucking weapons-grade plutonium. Like, unless you're making weapons-grade plutonium for some in completely idiotic reason to using kinetic penetrators, like, you have no fucking reason to be producing it anyway. Yeah. But, like, still... <laughs> So they've been messing around with this. Apparently, that laboratory I mentioned, the um, the uh, National Ignition Facility, yeah. they've been trying to do this to make a energy-positive fusion reaction for 70 years. Yeah. It, and like, they, back they, they did it. They, it, was they succeeded on December 5th and officially announced it on the 13th, so last week, last Tuesday. Yeah. I'm... I'm thinking, like, why'd they announce it, though? Uh, because, believe it or not, this has been a really big deal. The A lot of our current uh, renewable energy discussions have been kind of split into two parts. Uh, one of them was uh, pursuing fusion, and when fusion seemed to not be viable back, like, I don't know, five, ten years ago, we started pushing for uh, more fusion reactors, right? Yeah. And then everybody else is focused on, you know, wind, solar, and whatnot. This, if we can find a way to feasibly mass-produce fusion reactors, we're we're in the clear. We could straight up just swap all fossil fuels immediately, because the amount of fuel there is to work with means that literally it's a non-issue. As long as we can produce enough power to feed the supply chain and still come out energy positive, we can just keep building reactors. It will take really a few decades, useful, yeah. but once you get one working, it's a matter of just optimizing. If we can optimize the system enough, then we're golden. just a matter of, you know, getting there. And, well, we are getting there, slowly. And this might be it. We might have finally properly achieved all of this, so. I'm, I'm excited for the, uh, something I'm finally excited about, instead of just all doom and gloom, right? Yeah, depression. 
Although, my only real concern is more so uh, with, you know, fossil fuel companies being assholes. Oh, I, do you think they're going to get suicided? <laughs> no, I more so think that they might try and patent the technology and then because they're assholes. hide it? Yeah, because they've been doing that with renewable energy for years. Every time some kind of uh, innovative new uh, renewable energy uh, technology pops up, they instantly just fucking yoink that shit and send it to the void. Like, it's gone. You're not getting it anymore. Don't try and get it back. That would really suck. I I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. Well, also, I do see another problem. Like, okay, let's say we have successfully transitioned off, right? We have the capability to just mass produce these reactors. A lot of the global economy is centered around oil these days. So well, uh, we're still going to need... need oil for our cars, right? Uh, honestly, yeah, but we could also sim- make synthetic motor oil. Like, we don't, like, oil and gasoline. When the gas, when the gasoline, or rather when the uh, oil and coal uh, economy fucking col- practically collapses under its own weight at this point. Like, oil's not going to be in much high demand anymore once we swap to nuclear fusion, and the coal economy will practically cease to exist. That would be really good, too, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, then we wouldn't have would to worry about... It would be good until you have to think about it for more than a few seconds, because now we have a massive economic backlash from these from these markets practically ceasing to exist. True, but... If that disappears, it's not like there's going to be nothing to replace it, right? Uh, with the In the case of the fossil fuel industry, like if we have reached the point where uh, fusion is uh, economically sustainable, there won't be anything to replace it. Because we won't need a market uh, producing deuterium. Because we could just have uh, facilities to produce that, in fact, uh, on-premise. Combine your fuel production facilities with your reactor to minimize uh literally all it would turn into is transporting water that's what it would turn into at that point which should be handled by normal shipping companies Mm, yeah i guess so i see the economic backlash but i'm not too ultimately concerned about it because again that's like five ten years in the future once we actually, like, solve all of the kinks. Yeah, once we get the kinks out of the uh, technology, then we can start worrying about the problems that ma- large-scale implementation will solve. Will but ultimately, yeah, this is one of the few times I can say this is a net positive. Instead of... What the heck are you doing, Biden? We don't negotiate with terrorists. We certainly don't negotiate for their release. No, it's one of those times where I don't have to go, why the fuck is everybody around me just an idiot? Well, no, you weren't here here last week, were you? No, I wasn't. No. um... Biden negotiating for the release of terrorists be like, I serve the people, everybody else. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, pretty much. It's like, why are you doing this? Because I can. But what? Ah. Uh, anyway, anything else? Anything else that you think we should add? 
Not I, I really. Mean, other than net positive, big win for the everything. There's yeah, like no ways that this could well. Other than well, ev- no real other than it getting covered up, all. there's no ways yeah, that this like, could really go bad. Unless the shake get, gets covered up, this is still a massive step forward, and it will result in good changes further down the line. Yeah. Like, I'm uh, not even concerned about people weaponizing fusion because, again, we were doing that 30-plus years ago. 70. <laughs> yeah, like, 70 we were doing this ago. before <laughs> I was born. Like, oh, why the fuck would it be an issue now? Yep. If you do want to do more research into this topic or you want to let us know your own opinion, check the description for more information, including the resources I used to build this episode. You can also join our Discord server to discuss these and other topics, as well as join in when these episodes are recorded every Monday at 7pm Central. If you would like to support the show or spread the word, I have a merch store uh, full of items that show off both this show's logo and the icons for individual episodes. As always, thank you for listening to this episode of Bright Future. These episodes are released every Tuesday at 6pm Central, so I'll see you back here next week.